0: Welcome into to The Best in Paranormal Programming. This is Darkness Radio on a Thursday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. There are some people that are overlooked in life, and that's a shame. Because there are people in this world that have incredible gifts. And we want to bring everybody to the table to celebrate those gifts. Today we're going to celebrate some fantastic incredibly incredibly talented people in the paranormal and we're doing that today with our guest alex Matsuo. she has a book out there called women in the paranormal And it's about time we celebrate these women in the paranormal and we're going to talk about that with alex Matsuo today our guest but first i promised you we would review the flash i went and saw the flash last night and i want to thank allied for that allied marketing um Boy, I'll tell you, I was pleasantly surprised. I went into The Flash with no expectations. Ezra Miller, of course, plays The Flash, takes it over from, well, actually continues it from uh, the Justice League movie and from other cameos and other DC movies. I'll tell you, I went into it with no expectations. Having seen the trailer, I thought, eh, it left me lukewarm. It was exciting to see Michael Keaton was coming back as Batman. We know that from kind of seeing the little itsy-bitsy spoilers online that, of course, uh, this was probably going to be based off the Flashpoint uh, storylines in the comics. And, yeah, it is based a little bit off the Flashpoint storyline. For those of you who aren't familiar with the comics, I'll give you a tiny, brief, spoiler-free rundown, and it's basically this. If you know anything about Barry Allen's origin, it's that... His uh, mother is, always well, close to his father and his mother. His mother is mysteriously killed while she's making dinner. I'm not spoiling anything there. Uh, his father is framed for it and goes to jail. In the meantime, Barry acquires his powers, uh, and he is working for the Central City Police Forensics Lab. He's trying to figure out, you know, what he can do in order to get his father paroled because he knows he's innocent. And then it hits him after Iris West says something. Iris West is a college friend of his who eventually in the comic books ends up marrying or at least dating. I believe that's the same in the TV show as well. Um, and he figures out from something she says, you know what, if I can just run fast enough, maybe I can use the speed force to go back in time and stop the killer from killing my mother. And the way he figures it out is his father had gone to the store to get an extra can of tomatoes because she's making spaghetti that night when she's killed. If dad doesn't go to the store to get tomatoes, dad is there mother lives. So he figures that's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to sneak back in time, get mom the tomatoes all as well. And the hijinks ensues. So Barry goes back with the speed force. And as we all know with time travel, it screws everything up. Time isn't linear. Time is, is this uh, winding bowl of spaghetti, so to speak. And it's so eloquently put by Michael Keaton in the movie. It's not linear. And you'll uh, for those of you even who aren't into superhero movies... And maybe are into the time travel thing it really is an exciting movie for that it does really explain the time travel aspect of things and so there's a little bit of sci-fi in here there's a lot of superhero in here and there's a lot of life lesson in here and and the character work in here is very good the script is very good and the acting is wonderful and there's lots of action. There's lots of action. So you won't you won't skip on that at all. It's by far the best movie DC has done. And it was so refreshing to see Michael Keaton back in the Batman role. And he does it a little different this time. I think you'll be surprised at how this Batman is functioned after years of being a shut-in and comes out of this, this uh, shut-in role and puts on the cape and cowl one more time. I think you guys are going to like this movie. I'd be surprised if anybody does not like this movie. With that, as far as superhero movies go, I'd give it a four out of five. As far as regular movies go, I'd give it a three and a half out of five. It's not by any means a blockbuster, uh, but I do think it's a very, very good movie. I think it's a very, very good movie. I think you guys will will like it. I'd go ahead and pay full price for it. I wouldn't uh, skimp on yourself and go see it at a matinee. I'd pay full price for it, and I think you'll enjoy it. So there you go. Uh, Go see it this weekend. It opens on Friday. So tomorrow. So go see it at a theater near you. Let's get to our guest now. We're talking about Women in the Paranormal. That's the name of the book. Uh, Alex Matsuo is our guest. She is a paranormal researcher, social media influencer and author. She's the founder and director of the Association of Paranormal Study and runs The Spooky Stuff, Alex holds an M.A. in theater from San Diego State University and currently resides in Arlington, Virginia. She has been featured on KPBS, San Diego, Fox News and The Washington Post for her various endeavors. Finally, Alex is a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution through her ancestor Joseph Toller. You can learn more about Alex at AlexMatsuo.com and follow on social media at The Spooky Stuff. We'll have those links in the description of this program. Let's welcome in Alex Matsuo. Hi, Alex.
1: Hey, Tim, how are you?
0: Doing good, doing good. I'm excited to have you on the program today. I I feel like this topic right here is a topic that's not covered hardly enough.
1: Right. I'm really excited to be here, too. This is my first time you know, being on Darkness Radio, so this is really exciting for me. And also, I'm really honored to be here uh, to talk about this really important topic.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Let's get down to the nitty-gritty right away. I want to talk about the paranormal in general, in general and the, um, the demographic. I want to get down to the demographic first before we see I'm jumping right in deep water right away, Alex. You are. Um, I love it. We've both been to conventions. We've both been featured at conventions. We spoke at conventions. You're going to be at uh, Troy Taylor's Haunted America coming up. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And when we look out from the dais into the crowd, you see the, the demographic at conventions. Right, and I—it's safe to say it's it's not in favor of women over men. And to me, that's concerning or disconcerting. Um, I know the audience for this show is slightly more women than men, depending on the time of year. Uh, I think right now we're probably skewed fifty-five forty-five women over men. Now I've heard and and i want to get your i want to get your take on this why is that and then i want to tell you about a comment i heard once which was very disconcerting and i want to get your reaction on it why do you think that is that we see more men than women at these conventions
1: i think it's a bit reflective of the paranormal entertainment industry uh, because when you see these headlining guests they're normally usually from tv shows and to these event planners, that is who is gonna be bringing in the tickets and selling those tickets. So I think it's um, a byproduct of the current climate in the paranormal entertainment industry. Now, I will say it has improved in the last couple years. But before that, I mean, if we were look, we if we were to look at an event poster from, let's say, three years ago, it's mm-hmm. going to be very different than an event poster you may see today for a random uh, convention. But I will admit, I mean, I have seen convention posters and lineups even recently. Like I saw one last week where it was all men, and it was I, I was a bit taken aback by it because uh, I'm thinking, okay, well, there's plenty of women and other members of marginalized groups who could certainly you know, who could certainly fill that space and really make an impact. Uh, But also, I know that a lot of these event planners, not necessarily that they're trying to book their friends, but they do make connections at these conventions. And it's like, well, hey, if you come to my convention, I'll, I'll, you know, you can, I'll, I'll let you be a guest if you let me be a guest at your convention. So it's a lot of like, scratch my back and scratch yours. But unfortunately, it's a lot of the same it's the same people every time so uh when you see these lineups it's literally the same the same people talking about the same topics and um it's it's a bit it's a bit difficult because um I know a lot of the excuses I hear from event planners is oh we just don't know enough women who would be interested and I'm like okay well then you need to expand your social circle a bit because I can give you at least 10 right now who could who who could you know speak at your convention or take take advantage of this opportunity.
0: Yeah that that that, that concerns me a lot yeah the, I, the fact that yeah I, I do look at a lot of bills uh, you know bill uh, bills of, of conventions and I, I do see a lot a lot more men than women um, and that's a shame because there are a lot of talented women out there right now that are doing huge things in the paranormal field not just you know being second bananas that are out front and mm-hmm. it it alarms me that they're not uh they're not brought to the forefront or their their talent isn't on display more and that that you know especially at at conventions that they're not headlining or or, or being billed uh bigger
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and i i don't like to use myself as the comparison but there is like i did notice that there was a male investigator who's starting to be billed as a celebrity guest at a couple of these events. Saying you know they're a, they're a TikTok influencer they've been on TV and you know they're like this the guest of honor and when they reached out to me about being a guest um, I've been on TV twice and I have probably double the amount of TikTok followers so I'm just basing off of their metrics of what mm-hmm. would be a guest of honor sure. so just their metrics not mine um, but they're like okay well we can comp you a table and you could be a panelist on a pa- you know on one discussion topic Ooh. and I'm like. Really? You know, it was one of those like, huh, okay. That's interesting. Um, So it just, it just goes to show too. There, there seems to still be some sort of bias towards men in the field. And I don't want to call it celebrating mediocrity, but it's almost at that same level where um, I see, you know, certain headliners really getting praised for, you know, special guests of honor and X, Y, and Z. But then when you look at like the fruit that they bear with you know research or even media appearances it's very very minimal meanwhile there's you know a photo of a woman in the far right corner of like you know special you know maybe vendor or you know featured panelists and it's and when i google that person it's like rosemary allen guiley and i'm like what yeah, <laughs> yeah. i like wait what so it's um it seems like there's still a bias with some of these event planners and I don't know if it's because they haven't like necessarily caught up with the current climate and audience of the entertainment industry or what people want out of these conventions. I've always said that the paranormal community seems to be like ten years behind when it comes to like representation, yeah. um, and we're getting to about year eight since I said that. <laughs> yeah, um, no, and it's right. slowly improving. It's slowly improving. So I mean, not not all hope is lost, but um, it's slowly improving, and a lot of that improvement is coming from we're getting a little more representation in, in the entertainment industry now. Yes. A little bit more.
0: Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I think with the recent Calling over at, um, I call it a culling, but uh, I, I guess with the recent budget cuts, we'll put it that way, it's a, it's a better way to put it, over at uh, WBD, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, I think a lot of the cupboard got bare from women, especially when women were being, starting to be well represented over at Warner Brothers Discovery, and all of a sudden a lot of shows have been cleared out. And you're finding that lack of representation again because the, mm-hmm. the shows have been cleared out. And with the shows being cleared out, so has the representation of women and specifically uh, other groups uh, have been, you know, called out as well. Um, yeah. There's a, I heard an alarming statement a few years ago and it made me cringe. And I wanna throw it out to you and I wanna get your initial reaction. And I heard it from someone who had heard it from a programmer, a, a television programmer. Okay. And I know this. Oh, I hate, almost hate saying this to you, Alex, but I'm going to say it to you. And I want the first thing that comes off the top of your head. And it's this. Women don't want to see women on television. Now, Am I lot of cuss? yeah go ahead we're not regulated by the fcc go ahead what's your first reaction to that
1: bullshit (laughs) bullshit (laughs) uh granted i would also want to dive deeper into that into that claim from that programmer i mean i'm a big data driven person uh so it's like okay well all right let's take a look at the metrics then like what, what demographic are you look, are you analyzing to make that claim? Uh, what age, you know, age group, um, race, religion, you know, what are we looking at here? Uh, location, like where are they located? Um, I can't tell you how many times I've done conventions or I've written blogs about representation. I get so much positive response from women and they're like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much for saying something. Um, it's we want to see more of that representation and we want to see more than just the women being like the sidekicks and being the psychic medium or being the witch or the historical researcher. Those are still important roles, but we've yet to have a show where we've really had a, a lead female investigator and so many people, so many people, not just women, but so many people want that. So I can't, it's hard for me to believe that that's actually the case especially being in the entertainment industry i you know you you mentioned earlier i have a master's in theater Mm -hmm. i'm originally from southern california Mm -hmm. i did the la thing i did the la actor thing Uh, so i got a really good pulse on what the industry was looking for uh what audiences were wanting or what executives especially hollywood executives what they were assuming their audiences were wanting um Yeah, I have a hard time believing. I have a hard time believing that that's the case. Um, And it almost sounds like it's an excuse. It it almost seems like it's an excuse, but... If there is even a shred of truth to that, I mean, it's unless it's that assumption was being made based on like stereotypes of women of like, like, you know, we don't like each other or they're just being catty or, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, there's oh there's so many layers we could, you know, unravel with this.
0: (laughs) There was an insinuation of that, I think, in that statement that, you know, Mm -hmm. they don't want to watch women on TV because they almost wish it was them on television. But let me, I want to address something you said in that statement though, about there there's really no one, no woman leading a television show. Would, could it be argued that Amy Bruni isn't the lead on, on her show or maybe Katrina Weidman wasn't necessarily the lead on portals to hell. I mean, could you, could you argue that those two maybe led their shows?
1: We could, we could definitely say that, but they still had a co-host okay they still true. had they still had somebody co-leading with them okay. um so it's like it's like we don't we don't have a dynamic like we would have with like zach bagans you know zach is yeah. the star you know sure. what i mean we we don't sure. have that with a woman yet okay. um yeah i mean i would say katrina Wyman has gotten pretty close uh, especially with portals to hell and um uh, can, uh paranormal lockdown but you notice that she always had a male counterpart same thing with amy uh, amy bruni and you know kindred spirits is probably in terms of diversity one of the most diverse shows out there right now because right. you know you have adam Berry and amy bruni um you know who are both members of marginalized groups um but yes yeah, so, but amy uh she's fabulous she still has you know that male co-host though um i mean and i think she's Perfectly capable of carrying her own show. Oh. Um, same thing with Katrina, and I know Katrina and Heather Taddy are doing their own YouTube thing now. Yes. I haven't had a chance to yep. watch it, but
0: it's very I'm a big good. fan of Katrina. Yeah, it's very good. And Michelle Belanger uh, shows up on the show quite often too. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's 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 a very good show. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, and and by the way, you if you subscribe to Katrina's uh, YouTube, it's it's on there. So um, yeah, it, it's it's a very good show and. And uh, we had Katrina on not too long ago talking about the show. So, um, and the, But see, the, the thing, the thing is, is, is I could see where Katrina might have a problem if she wanted to. And we talked about that on the show, about wanting to translate that over to network television or, or over to cable. Um, and to her, that's kind of a passion project. And she didn't really see it translating over. If it did, If it did translate over, fine. But to me, that seems almost self-limiting. I would think that you would want to take a pro- program like that. Uh, I think it's called travel. Is it traveling the, the dead? I don't travel
1: the dead. Travel I think. the dead. Oh. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. But I, I, I would think that you would want to keep all possibilities open so that you could, you know, if you want to put that bad boy on, on, uh, I shouldn't call it a boy, should I? Uh, if you want to put that show on on Warner Brothers Discovery, or if you want to put that show on Netflix, or if you want to put that show on Paramount Plus, or if you want to put that show in any other medium or a larger medium than YouTube, I would think that you would leave it open so you could do that mm-hmm. and, and reach larger audiences. I think that her format on that is groundbreaking uh, if you get a chance to watch it. and And, and why not? Why not? You know? show people Mm -hmm. something different because it truly is different
1: yeah i can see where she's coming from with that because once someone else is writing your paycheck when it comes to things like this then your 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 your, um autonomy and decision making is a bit taken away and um true and i'm guessing you know and she would have a better awareness of that level and uh you know coming from that world and everything um yeah, it seems it seems it seems that she probably has she she chose that for a reason and she has some um, level of awareness that we that we may not have. Um, sure. But sure. I know when you go indie on YouTube, uh, you know you you can make your own decisions. I mean, you still have to follow YouTube guidelines, but mm-hmm. uh, you get to you get to choose your format, the script, and how you want everything to be shot. So she definitely, it sounds like she may want to retain that level of control.
0: Very true. Want to get back to conventions real quick here, Alex. Um, so what do you think the formula is, or how do we break out of the formula? Cause I will give props to say Michigan Paracon, Michigan mm-hmm. Paracon does have a way of booking any and everybody that they can get their hands on that has some sort of spotlight or limelight, whether it be it, marginalized groups, it doesn't matter. They bring them in, uh, men, women, whoever they bring them in. If, if it's a draw, they bring them in. But also, I will throw it to certain convention runners. I won't call them owners, but runners. Uh, not everybody has the budget of a Michigan Paracon. So what do you do if you're running a smaller convention to serve all masters, so to speak, and, and get more marginalized groups in yet still draw and get that, you know, get that profit in the door.
1: Mm -hmm. I think these event planners need to have a little more faith in their community um, and the capability to attend. Um, I am the track manager for the paranormal track at Con Carolina's, which is a fairly large, one of the largest conventions uh, in North Carolina. And, uh, we may have like a guest of honor each year. Like last year we had Andrea Perrin this year we had more um, but we still had very well attended panels and they still brought tickets. Like the people bought tickets to come see them. Um, and our paranormal panels are the rest of the guests lineup. These are all locals or people willing to travel. And our panels are still very well attended and they buy things from our paranormal vendors. Um, same thing with Hanover Tavern Paracon, you know, that was mainly a, you know, like a B, you know, B, C, D list, you know, paranormal people who've may have been on TV a couple times, but nothing like, Hey, you know, I'm the star of ghost hunters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that still drove tickets through the door. So, um, and I guess another example would be GalaxyCon. that, that brand yes. of large scale conventions, um, I helped plan the paranormal presentations at GalaxyCon Raleigh. And these were my team members presenting topics. Uh, And I'm talking like, granted, you know, we have people, you know, like celebrities like Jody Benson driving tickets, you know, through the door. But um, it was my team members and they had never been on TV or anything like that they were filling rooms of 300 people. Oh, wow. So I think some of these event planners need to have a little bit more faith in the local talent that they have, or even people who, you know, maybe have one TV uh, credential on their resume. Um, I I think now there is a level of risk with that. And I think you you have to come up with some plans to counter potential losses. But I, I really do think that, event planners need to give more credit to their community and the community's interest in the paranormal and not just depend on the celebrities to drive tickets because again i'm a data person i would love it if these events started to send out surveys after their events and say hey what what made you buy a ticket to this like was it paranormal a-list celebrity or was it because a panel was being presented or you wanted to go to a location you know like what what drove those ticket sales
0: That's fair. That's very fair. Yeah. You know, I yeah, when you bring that up it, it brings it brings to mind, you know, you mentioned Rosemary earlier. Um and God bless her and and, mm-hmm. and you know, I I was I was pretty close with Rosemary over the years and what what um what disturbed me was during those years there were times where people didn't realize the power she had and they didn't respect her or treat her appropriately i mean she really was a queen we can put it that way yeah. she was she was someone who deserved to be treated with the utmost respect um knowledgeable uh graceful i think is one way to put it um had had all the all the tools in the toolbox is a good good way to put it yeah um and when john zaffis who is i mean she's on the same level as john zaffis there's no you know and the two of them have no equal but i wouldn't see her treated on the same level as john zaffis Mm -hmm. and and that hurt my heart you know you know what i mean
1: yeah uh Rosemary is in the book. Uh, yeah, she was yeah. one of the ones I was like, I gotta have her in there. I only had the pleasure of meeting her once, but um, that two days I spent with her at this event that we were both speaking at, I was one like, wow, why am I speaking alongside her? Like, huh? you know, I'm mm-hmm. like I'm like, okay, you are amazing, mm-hmm. um, but. You know, I had talked to, so I talked to John Zaffis about her as well, um, for the book. I interviewed her, I interviewed him and I also interviewed, um, her husband, Joe, who was a beautiful human being, um, and John said something to me that really stood out because Rosemary was really um, breaking the glass ceiling when it came to representation of women in paranormal media. Mm-hmm. And sadly, this happened right about the time that she got sick, but she told, well, right when she got her paranormal caught on camera opportunity after all these years, she finally got her chance, but then she got sick. Yeah. Um, and she had said that to John and I actually like got really emotional when we were talking about this. Cause I was like, if there was anyone that deserved to have the accolades, the TV show, the, you know, the whole nine yards, it was her. And, um, and I'm, and I'm, and I have a fairly big, big ish presence on TikTok. not like as big as like, you know, Kalani or, you know, Becky and Galentine, you know, I'm not at that level, but I still have a substantial amount of people following me. And the, and anytime I brought up like Rosemary, um, they're like, who, and I'm like, oh, oh. wait, okay. Um, it, it it's like, oh. and it just like a part a part of me just kind of dies a little bit. Yeah. Um, when I hear this, and so that was actually there was a lot of incidences that inspired me to write the book, but Rosemary's legacy and spreading the word about her legacy was a big motivator for me because I'm like, it, she was a walking encyclopedia. Like you can mm-hmm. ask her anything, and she would one give you the time. Mm-hmm. Like there was never a time where she was too busy for you uh she would make the time to talk to you and make you feel listen listen to or you she would make she would make you feel heard and there was no such thing as a stupid question right. um and she and she just she would just talk and, and share all of her knowledge and i never once like lo- watched her like check her notes or anything like that this was nope. all coming off the top of her head
0: that's right that's right yeah she uh, just I mean, not just genius level as far as the paranormal went. I had a two and a half hour lunch with her once. Uh, we were at an nice. event on the Queen Mary and, and she was kind of walking around the ship. And, and I said, uh, what's going on, Ro? She said, well, uh, I need to get lunch. <laughs> and I said, you need to get lunch. I said, so do I. And uh, she said, I, I want to get off the ship. And I said, well, you want to go into Long Beach? She said, sure. I said, I got a car. And she said, that is wonderful. And I said, where do you want to go? And I, I gave her a bunch of different choices. So we went, we had lunch uh, in Long Beach and we sat there for two and a half hours. I could We couldn't believe the time went that that quickly, but we sat and talked about everything from life, just life in general, to we, we spent very little time on the paranormal. But you'd be amazed, just amazed at some of the things that she knew that was Completely not paranormal, but she changed my life just in two and a half hours. Mm. Changed my life and my perspective completely, and that that woman was just amazing, just amazing. Yeah, yeah. So she really was. Yeah, and and I think people forget too that she used to call in all the time to Coast to Coast AM, and she was a frequent contributor to Coast to Coast AM, mm-hmm. and would you know when 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 George Nori needed stuff you know, when he needed material for coast to coast AM, Rosemary would fill that void. And and there were times where, you know, they had nothing on coast to coast AM, and they needed it. They needed a topic and Rosemary came in and boom, she had it. So, yeah. Yeah. So yes, she yep. was, she was a, a, a rich bank of paranormal knowledge. So yeah. Mm-hmm. A, incredible. She really she was incredible. So, and we miss her dearly, dearly. definitely miss her dearly. Um, I tell you what, we'll take our break right here, Alex. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the influential women in the paranormal that are included in this book. And we want to encourage people to go out and get the book during the break. Again, we have a link in the description of this program to pick up the book. And uh, one of the things we'll ask Alex when we come back is why certain women were included in the book and why certain women were left out I'm curious. So we're going to ask that question of Alex when we come back. The book is Women of the Paranormal, Volume uh, volume 1, A Brief History. Alex Matsuo is our guest. And when we come back, we will talk about those women of the paranormal. When we come back on the best in paranormal programming, this is Darkness Radio. Welcome back to the Best in Paranormal Programming. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Our guest is Alex Matsuo. The book is Women of the Paranormal, Volume 1, A Brief History. And again, Alex, I want to thank you so much for being on the program today. Uh, the dedication in the book says, for those who are ready for a seat at the table. I have to ask you, I'm going to throw a devil's advocate in, um, type question at you right now and say, has the seat not already been filled somewhat throughout the years? Can you argue that the seat has been there all along and has been filled that men have kind of shunned the paranormal and didn't come into it really until maybe, Somewhere around the 1920s, 1930s, then they really started to kind of fall in line and decide that they were going to get involved, that paranormal really wasn't men's work, so to speak. Can I throw that at you and, and argue that maybe it was a realm for the women and then the men kind of stomped in and took it over?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. So one could even argue that it was the women who built the tables and chairs. Yeah. You know. Um, Yeah. So it's interesting you bring that up. So a lot of the conversations that have been happening lately, especially on social media, about inclusion or representation uh, is about having a seat at the table and. A lot of times you will hear members of marginalized groups, myself included, say something to the effect of I really don't want to keep having to build my own chair um, or I really don't want to sit at the kitty table uh, at dur- during Thanksgiving. It's almost like that kind of metaphor mm-hmm. when when you're still when you're watching uh, men, especially women. Uh, White men just being offered a seat already, like they don't have to put in the, the legwork to build the. They don't have to build the chair. They don't have to earn their stripes by sitting at the kitty table first. They're just offered that chair. So um, that's that's really where that dedication got the. the I was inspired um, to write that dedication. Um, so it's like it's almost like men took over. Women built the table and chairs. Men took over, and they're they're making seats and offering seats to other people except for the ones who have been there all along Mm -hmm. Uh, i've learned a lot about the history of um, paranormal investigation and psychical research from writing this book and um, one could argue that this was all created and built on the shoulders of women and yet they're not. They don't get that acknowledgement. Um, they don't get that acknowledgement, or they're referred to as, you know, good old nineteenth century like Mister um, Henry Sidgwick or Missus Henry Sidgwick, mm-hmm. um, you know, that sort of thing, uh, where. Yeah, women were a huge part of this. And actually, women found a lot of independence through psychical research, and they were able to find their own voices um, in psychical research. Um, I'm currently mulling in my head um, either a paper or maybe even like a short book about how the Society for Psychical Research was almost a safe haven for marginalized groups uh, during the 19th and 20th centuries. Um, Because I learned a lot writing this book.
0: (laughs) I I learned a lot. I bet. Yeah. Um, You know, actually, you mentioned Eleanor Sidgwick. Tell us a little bit about her.
1: Yeah, so Eleanor Sidgwick um, was married to Henry Sidgwick, who was one of the founders of the Society for Psychical Research, and uh, she sh- she was somebody who really had a quiet resilience about her, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but she played critical roles in um, you know in, the, in like the in, the in the journals of the Proceedings for the Society of Psychical Research. She did a lot of like the proofreading and editing, but she also led. Uh, several investigate investigations um, done by SPR. And one of them was actually by Helena Blavatsky, an investigation of Blavatsky. And um, one of the big gotcha moments with Blavatsky's career was um, if you were in Blavatsky's home, there was like this cabinet where, you know, you know letters from the spirit guides or from the masters would show up. Um, and it was Eleanor Sidgwick who analyzed those letters and discovered that, so-called letters from the, from the masters, the handwriting matched Blavatsky's. Uh (laughs) So, uh, so, um, Eleanor Sidgwick really played a huge role in this, but yet it's not really her name in the, in the history books, especially it's getting a little better with SPR's history because they're starting to be like, Oh, Hey, you know, this is, um, you know, she played a bigger, a bigger role, um, than, than we initially indicated. Um, and her, fa- and actually her family was involved with SPR as well. Um, you know, her uncle got involved with it. She had a couple brothers who were, who were on the council of SPR. And of course, when she married, um, Henry Sidgwick, uh, she, she did quite a bit for the organization. Um, she did a lot of work that she didn't necessarily didn't have to do. Um, but, she was, but the thing was, and this is likely why her name got overlooked, so to speak, she was not an extrovert. She didn't do public lectures unless she was specifically asked to do them. Okay. Um, she was quiet, but then when she did speak, she commanded a room. People listened. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was also somebody that you really wanted on your side. Um, she was really described as like a cheerleader of different people. Um, she helped contributed to a lot of books she also um wrote she wrote a couple books as well um she she did she did quite a bit and she submitted her own um her her own letters and papers as well and um yeah she was quite a powerhouse and when spr was starting to go through quite a bit of their there was a bit of a leadership debacle and a leadership change within spr and that was after um edmund gurney took his own life um Eleanor really stepped up uh, and took on a leadership role while um, Henry, uh, Henry Sidgwick, Frederick Myers, you know, that whole group were trying to collect themselves after Gurney's death. Um, Eleanor Sidgwick was really the one holding the fort. Um, and I and honestly, I, I don't think SPR would be what it is today or would have survived without her. Um, she really carried SPR on, uh, SPR on her back for several years.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you have a foreword written in this book uh, from Amanda Woomer. Yeah. And she writes something very interesting here. You know, we were talking about conventions in the first part of the program. And she, she was on a panel. She's talking about, everyone's talking about their, their favorite paranormal investigator. And she says, Catherine Crow and crickets throughout the, throughout the uh, audience. And they're like, who? And she's like, "Oh, come on, people, Catherine Crow," and and everybody's kind of like, "Huh?" And then she kind of slinks down in her seat as she as she tells the story. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Catherine Crow and why we don't have Catherine Crow in our modern day uh, kind of legend, and why Catherine Crow isn't as big of a name as some of the other women in the paranormal?
1: Yeah, so this, this, this is a big one. Um, so Catherine Crowe uh, lived in the 19th century. She uh, was very – so she was an author. She wrote, uh, fic- you know, she wrote, you know, mysteries and fiction and whatnot, but she also wrote she, – she was fluent in German, and she helped translate a few things in German for, you know, Britain. Um, she wrote a book called The Night Side of Nature, and this is where the words poltergeist and doppelganger – first were introduced into English usage. Wow. That alone is very significant for par- the paranormal research world. It's like, well, how did we not know this? Mm-hmm. Um, and this book was very well received. I believe it went through like seven editions in the span of a couple years, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, at the time she was friendly with Charles Dickens. I don't know what capacity they were friendly. Um, but that eventually did change. Um, when Catherine was in, I believe she was in her fifties. Um, She was found on the streets of the report is she was found on the streets of Edinburgh, stark mad and stark naked, um, (laughs) wandering the streets naked um, with a handkerchief in one hand and a ticket in the other. And according to, quote unquote, witnesses, she believed that the spirits had rendered her invisible Um, now there's a couple things. So, and I mentioned this incident because myself and Amanda and other people believe that this is what contributed to the burying of Catherine's legacy. Okay. Um, so when this happened, uh, Charles Dickens caught wind of it and he started writing letters to his friends in in London, um, what's important to note is Charles Dickens was a mesmerist and Catherine Crowe was a spiritualist. Okay. The mesmerist and the spiritualist did not get along with each other. They were competing for the same audience. Um, so I think this had a lot to do with it. And Charles Dickens wrote all of his friends and told him about the incident with Catherine and, and how she was um, committed to an asylum afterwards, which uh, <laughs> you know, again, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking we're talking like late 1800s so I mean record keeping wasn't too wasn't terrible, you right. know. It, it, it was it was better. <laughs> you know, it yeah, was getting yeah. better. Yeah. Um so a couple things about that really stood out to me. Um and also Charles Dickens went as far as to write the Zoist, which was a mesmerist newspaper and reported as well. And it actually got picked up by major publications in England. So it, it would be like a tweet on Twitter being picked up by the New York Times as fact because BuzzFeed picked up that tweet as well. Um so it is, and, and poor Catherine had no idea that this um, that this situation was happening until she actually went to London and found out about the rumor. And she had written to um, she wrote to one of the publications um, and said, you know, I was ill in eighteen fifty four during this week during that um, week with like with gastrointestinal issues. I did have a really high fever, mm-hmm. but I wasn't committed to an asylum. Um, I would really appreciate you putting this letter in the paper. Um, and and Catherine was like 64 years old at the time that the scandal happened. Um, but this was enough to really put uh, a dent in her legacy. Um, and, and this is, this is where I go back to like the record keeping. Um, I got a little suspicious. So in 2014, um, the, the lunacy registers and warrants um, from the National Archives in England were digitized. Um, so they had all their all their records, their intake records from 1820 to 1912. So and this was made public in 2014. So we're talking more than 840,000 um, records. Wow. Um, over 300 mental institutions was released to the public. I did not find Catherine Crow's name in any of them. Oh, wow. um, I did find a Catherine and I did find a Catherine Stevens, okay. which was Catherine's maiden name. Okay. But Catherine kept the name Crow for the rest of her life. So and the, and the dates still didn't line up. Um, and Dickens claimed that um, that Catherine was committed to. Um, I think it was Hallwell but Hallwell is in London and Catherine was in Edinburgh when this happened. So if she was actually committed to an asylum, she would have been sent to the Royal Edinburgh hospital. So, so there's parts of this that doesn't quite line up. Um, but you know, again, Victorian era, you know, acclaimed white male author says this thing about this woman who, you know, really would fit the narrative. Like, Oh, she's crazy. Um, so, now, Catherine didn't let that stop her. She did release another book a couple years later um, called uh, it's uh, Ghosts and Family Legends, a volume for Christmas. And this is actually the publication that where she really describes, like, one could say the first, like, paranormal investigation, at least how we would do paranormal investigations today. Okay. Um, yeah, she was at a party. The book, the premise of this book is she was at a party and each person was telling a ghost story for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, Hey, Catherine, tell us a story. And she tried to evade it. She'd say, Oh, well, everything you need is in night side of nature. And they're like, no, 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 tell us this story. So she got recruited to investigate this haunted house in Edinburgh. Uh, she brought a medium with her. She didn't tell the medium why they were there, which is what we do today. You know, we don't necessarily tell mediums what's going on. Right. Um, and they sat there, you know. They investigated, asked questions. They she recorded her sightings, very with rather amazing detail. But that is like one of the earliest accounts of what we would consider a modern day paranormal investigation. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's amazing how Catherine doesn't get that credit. For one, introducing Doppelganger and Poltergeist to us, but also like she really laid the groundwork, and that groundwork inspired the formation of the Society for Psychical Research. So wow, it's, it's amazing with that, right?
0: That is. And, you know, Dickens comes off like a like a spurned lover. If, if, that, if that's a smear job.
1: I, you know, I I spe- I speculate this in the book, and I do make it very clear that it's a speculation. Uh, but because Catherine was rather gorgeous, you know, she was very, described as very beautiful, and Dickens was kind of a a tomcat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, you know it's, it's well known that Dickens Dickens, you know, got around with the ladies. So yeah. it does it does very much read as a spurned lover. You're absolutely right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. What a story. Well, yeah, and, and you would, you would uh, I don't know, you would think that she'd be celebrated more, but it's it's a shame that she's not, that's for it's, sure.
1: It really is. Um, I was asked to review a book that was written by a New York Times bestselling author. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, the book is beautiful, and I looked, and there was a whole poltergeist section, and I was like, I'm just curious. No mention of Catherine at all. Wow. And I'm like, how? How?
0: <laughs> I, I don't get that. Yeah, you would think the the person who... Named the phenomenon should have at least some mention. That's just
1: just a little bit, even if it's a one sentence.
0: Instead of know? calling it Bill Finger syndrome, we should call it Catherine Crow syndrome. Uh, I don't know if you know who <laughs> Bill Finger is. Bill Finger is the guy who created Batman, but Bob Kane is the one who got got the mm. uh, got the uh, credit. So yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> so yeah, we'll call it Catherine Crow syndrome from now on. You create yes. the phenomenon, but you 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 never get credit for it. Um, in your book is also included the Fox sisters. I I know some people are familiar with the Fox sisters, but others aren't. I'm wondering if you can recap that for us.
1: Yes. So the Fox sisters are credited as the founders of spiritualism or at least American spiritualism as we know it. So table tipping, spirit wrapping, seances, um, it all goes back to, uh, once upon a time, um, the Fox sisters specifically, um, Maggie and Kate, uh, they were kids at the time when this was, um, when this was going on, but they, it, their family moved into this haunted house in Hydesville, New York. Um, and they were hearing like rap spirit wrappings. They were hearing taps and all of these, um, really like concerning sounds and, um, all, all this to say that they believed that there was a ghost in their house and they were able to communicate with it using wraps and taps um, to the point where, you know, they their parents were calling in neighbors to verify. Um, they got their sister, eldest sister, Leah, in on it as well. And Leah was much older than Maggie and Kate. Leah was already married with, you know, a husband and kids and teaching piano and everything. Um but the phenomenon that was happening at the Fox house um, and the way that Maggie and Kate were communicating with this spirit that they called Mr. Splitfoot, which was a nickname for the devil mm-hmm. um, really took off. And to the point where people wanted them to do readings for them and, it just it just it, it instigated this whirlwind thing. Maggie and Kate were doing these public demonstrations and public lectures. Leah became their manager. Um, and that just sparked a fire for all these other female and male, but mostly female mediums coming to the forefront with similar abilities. Um, it, it was rather incredible., uh, the spiritualism movement was could really be seen as a feminist movement and an abolition movement as well uh, because a lot of spiritualists, and a lot of this is because there is connections with Qua- with the Quaker religion and spiritualism, like they kind of were buddies a little bit for a while. Um, there was a lot of advocacy for women's rights, women's voting rights, abolition of, sla- abolition of slavery. Um, you have, but you had all these people kind of jumping on the spiritualist bandwagon, um, and we still use a lot of those techniques even in modern day investigation. Now, Maggie and Kate did come forward and say that they had faked they faked it yeah um maggie did try to take it back though uh not quite she didn't never quite got the same amount of acclaim as she did before right um, and there's speculation as to why they came forward and said that anyway but i would say even if the if the fox sisters and i say this in the book too even if the fox sisters were frauds I think in a way they did teach their generation how to communicate with us. Right. And they taught us how to communicate with them. Yes. So I still think regardless, regardless of whether you think they're frauds or you think they were legit, they still contributed something very significant to our community.
0: Very much so. Very much so. Uh, In the book, overall there are 33 women that are featured in the paranormal only If I remember right, there were only three or four from the modern day, I want to say, uh, which is impressive. I I don't think people know that there were that many women that contributed throughout history to the paranormal. So I I think Mm -hmm. that that uh, will shock people. Tell me a little bit about Dr. Florence Barrett.
1: Oh, my gosh. This one was a very pleasant surprise. And this this one was – so Florence Barrett, Dr. Barrett, was um, a very well-known gynecologist, obstetrician, uh, really advocated for women's health rights. Um, She was actually the first one to really develop prenatal care of, hey, we should probably be taking care of the mothers who are carrying these babies. We should Mm -hmm. probably make sure they're fed and taken care of and they have medical treatment. Crazy idea yeah. in the uh, late nineteenth, early twentieth century. <laughs> you know, yep. crazy idea. Um, yeah. So she was initially a skeptic for most of her life until she married um, Sir William Barrett, who was one of the other founders of SPR. Okay. Uh, which I found to be a rather interesting match because he was about twenty years older than her. Um, so they, which again, not uncommon for that time period. And I believe this was her second marriage, but um, yeah. So she didn't really get involved into psychical research until after her husband died. And it was because one of the members of SPR had reached out to her with a letter saying, I didn't have the chance to meet your husband in person, but I was meeting with Gladys Osborne Leonard, the medium. And she mentioned a few things about, Sir Barrett that I think you might be interested in. And Florence lived in the same town as Gladys, so uh, Dr. Barrett scheduled uh, Florence, Dr. Barrett um, scheduled a sitting with Gladys Leonard and it turns out Gladys seemed to have been. She really made connection with Dr. or with um, Sir Barrett because she was saying things about his death that no one else would have known except for Dr. Barrett, Um, like you know his mother being there or the way that he was slumped over in the chair that no one else would know about. So being the science person and investigator that she was, she started doing sittings with Gladys Leonard, um, several times a month for about 11 years. And she wrote down verbatim these conversations with, um, with Sir Barrett, with Sir Barrett via Gladys Leonard. Um, and it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating book to read. It's called, um, survival of personality, uh, and sir barrett is actually listed as a co-author like wow. from the other side um but for a medical doctor to write a book like this but also put faith into psychical research on that level mm-hmm. is impressive and it definitely adds a level of credibility to what she was doing yeah um, yeah, so Dr. Barrett, Dr. Barrett was really uh, a, a cool lady. Now, side note, she was an advocate for eugenics, but this was also like early, early eugenics where it's like you don't—I don't think you really understand what you are advocating for. Yeah, yeah. but all—I all, will say, all of these women, most of these women do have a problematic side. I think, as most people do, anyway. Oh sure. Um, there was th- I mean not every- I don't think I, I don't really think there's one woman in this book that's like completely squeaky clean maybe except for rosemary <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rosemary might be the only one <laughs> uh, maybe, but yeah. um, but uh, everyone's got something so that's dr. Barrett's like eh. but um <laughs> but she was but she really did a lot of good work for um, women's health care I mean there's hospital wings named after her over in Great Britain mm-hmm. um, but yeah the fact that she wrote this book and she put a lot of faith into Gladys Leonard and her readings, and um, really going through like a scientific process to want confirm that she was communicating with Servaret, and um, asking questions, and just and also just verbatim with the note taking. I was very impressed with that. Uh, I mean that that had to have taken so much time to write um yeah. but it's it's really it's a really impressive read and i think it, it, it like i said it gives us a level of credibility to psychical research um that we really like don't see a lot um even to this day um that's that's actually legit
0: yeah very much so uh one more here and then i want to get to modern day louisa rhine
1: Oh, yes. Louisa Ryan. So uh, Louisa Ryan was married to J.B. Ryan. Mm -hmm. and he was the one who started um, the parapsychology unit unit at Duke University. Now, I say him, but really it was him and Louisa advocating Mm -hmm. for this um, because they were already married and had children by the time this unit was established. And they actually learned about parapsychology together. Now, at the time, Louisa was... um, you know, what You know, she was a mother. You know, watching kids and doing, uh, doing all of these, doing all of these things. Um, but she, but she would come. But she came back. She came back and started working. You know, within uh, the Rhine Research Center, and um, after they broke off from Duke University, and she was really taking on the role of examining stories of psi experiences. Psi for the listeners. Yep. Um and her notes are really rather interesting. Um, her, um, her research in that and validating the stories. Um, I mean, she's really considered to be like the first lady of parapsychology. It's, um, it's, it's really, uh, it's really one of those things where it's like she, she, she was it. Um, and she was also a very well-educated woman. I think her degree was in plant physiology, if I remember correctly, I think it was plant physiology, but, um, she also helped uh, her husband, JB, uh, create the Zener cards. Um, I don't know if y'all are familiar with the yeah, Zener uh, cards. It's the cards with the squiggly lines, the yeah. circle, the yep. triangle, the cross. Um, so she helped develop those cards, and she helped uh, she helped her husband create the testing mechanisms uh, for Psy. So I think she did a lot more. Than we give her credit for and and uh, and she was raising four children during this whole time too (laughs) like she literally would have her kids with her in the lab while she was like doing these things um yeah so she uh and she also took on that role like i said of going through the submissions when people were reporting their psi phenomena with the Rhine. she would she that that was her reading it, and she would publish her results. Um, she she did she did a lot for the Rhine Research Center. Um, yeah, it's she she was pretty incredible. And I used to live like thirty minutes away from the Rhine Research Center, so I wow. spent some time there because it was right there. Um, and you know, the Rhine is still doing really well to this day. So, and I think we have a lot to thank for that. And her daughter, um, Sally Ryan Feather is still very active within that organization.
0: Fascinating person. That's for sure. Fascinating. Uh, let's talk a little bit about modern day. And, and I'm curious to ask you, Alex, there, there is such a rich, rich, rich history of women in the paranormal. And I understand wanting to get that scope and getting that knowledge out to an audience, not just a male but female, um, and getting everybody in to say, hey, you know what? It's not just the people you see on TV. Mm-hmm. But of the modern day, you've picked three or four really, really good females in the paranormal but we've left out I mean, we've talked a lot about the the, the current day paranormal and, and the women, the paranormal. So I'll ask you one. You, this is a volume one. Is there a volume two? Yes. OK, you're shaking. Oh, your head. Yes. yes. OK. Oh,
1: yes. Um, so initially, when I started out the project, there was mm-hmm. I only had 12 women. Um. Thanks to a visit to the Library of Congress, I now have about 150. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. So there's definitely going to be at least three or four volumes. Um, but yeah, so everyone in the book has since passed away. That is one common thing you will see with, with all of the women. Mm-hmm. And the reason being um, is because I, I their stories are, are finished. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. not. Yeah. I, I felt like it would have dated the book a bit if, say, I included um, – I included somebody else who's still alive. And then after I published the book, they make this like breakthrough discovery. And I'm like, crap. (laughs) I'm like, dang it. Okay. Um, So that, that had a lot to do with it. And that's why they're not as, there's not as many modern women. Um, I do have a few more for volume two um, that, May or may not be alive by the time the book comes out. It's going to be kind of up in the air. I may break my rule for the next volume okay. uh, because, you know, there are some pretty amazing women who are still who are alive today, still making quite an impact. Um, one of them is my mentor, um, Robin Pye Bellamy. Um, sadly, she is ill with terminal cancer, but she's mm. still doing paranormal research. Like she's still yeah. um, really... Trying to advocate integrating forensic studies into the paranormal, and okay. I'm like, yeah, you should have a role in this book. Yeah. Um, and I'm hoping she won't meet, meet the the previous books' uh, not requirement, but yeah. I really yeah. wanted to make sure that these stories were done. Right. Um, but yeah, so I I still have about a hundred or so women that wow I had to put a stake in the ground. I really had to put a stake in the ground yeah. and. Because otherwise it was gonna just continue to grow and grow and grow, and I would never have the book done so and I, I wanted to be a little bit I wanted it to be more than like a who's who type of publication. Sure, I sure. wanted to dive into these stories so um, so the goal is to have between like thirty to forty women in each volume mm-hmm. um, and eventually, maybe once I'm like. Yes, I'm complete. Maybe I'll make one big power tome <laughs> with <laughs> all of them into one. <laughs>
0: is there, could you say there's a side goal here too, maybe to inspire, inspire girls out there to, to get into this field? Is, is that maybe a side goal too?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really want, I really want people, especially women and girls, um, and members of the LGBTQIA plus community. Cause there's a few in the book mm-hmm. um, to really, I really want to inspire them to get more, to get more involved in paranormal and psychical parapsychological research, because there's, there's already space for you. The, those spaces were made by the foremothers before you, like you, like you have a place here, you have a place in this community uh, and you have a place, you know, on a public, on uh, more of a public view as well. Um, Yeah. So, and I, and I think, and and it's not, and it's not that I don't appreciate what like Hans Holzer did or Peter Underwood, Harry Price, depending how you feel about Harry Price. um, (laughs) You know, it's, it's not to diminish their contributions to the field, but everyone knows who they are and their stories are told over and over and over again. um, When they have, they have contemporaries who were also doing the work at the same time they were. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's pretty amazing work that I think really needs some exposure. And in one of the comments, um, I got on my post about, I, am starting to share each woman from the book in yep. my, on my Facebook page. Um, uh, one of them was Jane Barlow. And one of my commenters was like, I had no idea Jane Barlow was alive. And, uh, she was alive at the same time as Bram Stoker. Um, and, I'm, I'm so surprised that i didn't know who she was or, or her contributions uh to spr specifically she's the one who helped curate the journals for the society of psychological research and he's like thank you for sharing this with me and i'm like that's that's why i wrote the book just so it's like yeah. hey check out this woman um they're all connected with each other too like they've all like like um eleanor sidgwick you know analyzed the, and debunk the letters of helena blavatsky blavatsky inspired annie Besant. annie Besant also inspired violet Tweedale. like they're all like it's it's like a tree and the branches are and the branches are all there or a, a spider web even everyone's connected with each other and i'm hoping by this writing this book i'm establishing like hey we're all connected with each other and we're yes. we all have a yeah. place here and yeah. it's like hey Go, go do your thing and we'll be here to support you.
0: Well, not only that, Alex, but I mean, you know, we we pride ourselves if you're investigating, if you're out there investigating, you pride yourself as knowing your history and knowing history in order to be able to solve cases or go out there and being able to debunk or know certain things and if you know history then you're better equipped to go out and do things in the field if you want to go out and do things in the field you have to know where we've been and if you if you exclude the knowledge that's in this book from these four mothers that are in this book then you really don't know where you've been there's a whole lot of knowledge in here from some brilliant women
1: there's a lot of knowledge and there's a lot of experiences too. a lot of the experiences that these women had, especially with being marginalized as a woman is not much different than what we're experiencing today too. And it's frustrating, but it's also reassuring to know it's like, okay, you know, these women that went through, they, they went through the fight as well and look how successful they became and look, look what the impact, um, look at the impact they made, um, like Gertrude, uh, Gertrude Schmeidler um, won't go deep into her, but she's the one who invented the sheep goat experiment, um, which we all still use today. Um, So she, she did tremendous things. Uh, Thelma Moss, you know, consult, you know, was overseeing um, Barry Taff and Carrie Gaynor with the Doris Bither case that inspired the entity and Thelma Moss consulted on the entity film. Mm -hmm. So it's like, so these women have been there and they've, fought the good fight and they, they they definitely made a positive impact on the community and the research field for sure.
0: Just a couple more here before uh, we leave people today. Um, And a couple that I I really want to tip my cap to you too. You, you included uh, Lorraine Warren in the book. Um, Although Lorraine has gotten her flowers uh, in this, in this life, uh, especially with the conjuring movies and and whatnot. Um, I want to ask you, Although that's that's ground that's been tread quite quite a bit, um, especially in the last decade or so, how did you put a different spin, or how did you put your take on Lorraine for this book? What what was different about your take on Lorraine?
1: Yeah, so I really wanted to explore Lorraine's role in you know Nesper and also working alongside Ed and. And I actually went back and forth on whether or not to include Lorraine because she was already so famous. But then I also knew that people would ask, like, why isn't she in this book? Um, So I was like, "Okay, I'm just going to go do some reading and see if anything pops up. Um, And I noticed when I was reading these newspaper articles from like the 60s and 70s, Ed was treated much more favorably than Lorraine. Mm -hmm. And Lorraine would often get criticized for um, like you're a wife and mother, what are you doing? And I'm thinking, well, Ed's a husband and father. Why isn't he getting the same pushback? Yeah. Um, and part of what made Ed and Lorraine so famous, especially in the 70s and even the 80s, was, you know, these uh, doing the college lectures, as these students would say, they look like my mom and dad. Um, but I think Lorraine really did some glass ceiling breaking with what she was doing as a wife and mother. Now, granted, Judy was grown up by the time they really got famous which i found that to be very ironic like she would get criticized but i'm like judy's an adult by this right
0: point. right you know and i yeah.
1: think judy may have had some kids at this point so i'm like yeah. she's a grandmother yeah um but i but i but i noticed the way that the press treated ed versus the way the press treated lorraine mm-hmm. uh that was the angle i went off of, of you know we still have this really famous woman um and, you know, and her name is will forever be tied to Ed. And, you know, and, you know, they were a couple married couple in love and, you know, as it should be. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if people give Lorraine enough credit for after Ed's death and continuing to carry that torch too. Yeah. Um, like she really held her own legacy wise. And I really think it wasn't until like The Conjuring came, came to came to light or came to the public, got released, that she started to kind of fall back into the Ed and Lorraine box again. Yep. Not necessarily yep. not saying that's necessarily a bad box, but it's like she almost had she almost had like a decade and a half, two decades of independent research or independent yes. work. Yep. Um that I think I don't know if she ever got enough credit for that. So um but really it was those newspaper articles and seeing how Lorraine would be treated and how they questioned her versus Ed. Mm-hmm. I found that fascinating. Very and that's something so. I didn't really know about. At yeah. the
0: time, yeah. It, I mean, I was familiar with it, but uh, yeah, you're right. She she did get uh, quite bar- marginalized when the two of them were together. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Yeah,
1: they they would pick on her, but not him. That's yeah. like yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, and the one that I was really pleased to see was Linda Godfrey. Um, mm. Yeah, she she. Uh, I think a lot of people. Hang their hat on the fact that there's Beast of Bray Road there, and and forever she has tied the Beast of Bray Road. But there was so much more with Linda. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, your research with Linda and and what you admired about Linda.
1: Yeah, so with Linda, I never had the chance to meet her in person, but I knew about the Beast of Bray Road. Um, I read a, I read um, a few of her books, especially the ones that she co-authored with um, Rosemary, and. And she was and she was another one that ended up being because I started working on this book in 2021. She was one of those last minute Mm editions, which was sad. I was like, oh, dang. okay, well, let's put her in. Um, So I talked to. um, So the research that went into that because she was a very private person. Um, When I Googled her, all I could really find was like her public facing bio with her books and then um, her obituary. And Mm -hmm. that was it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't want it to be just an obituary so um and actually i ran into a similar thing with rosemary so what i did was i just kind of put a call out to the social media and i said hey if anyone knows like linda godfrey or knew linda godfrey or worked with her i would love to talk to you and i ended up talking to jay and i'm going to butcher his last name and if you're listening jay Thank you. Yep. <laughs> I was like, i butcher this. Yep. Um, so he and I actually talked for quite some time, and yeah. he shared with me um, a lot of really wonderful stories about Linda. I was really trying to like figure out like who like who she was, personality wise, um, her process, and and ask him too, like, what kind of legacy do you think um, Linda left behind? Um, and I did this with Rosemary as well as Lorraine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, talking to the, cause I knew people who cared about them were going to read this book too. So I'm like, I want to make sure that they're properly represented. Sure. Um, cause this book is not meant to slam anybody. So mm-hmm. I was, so when I talked to Jay, I got really wonderful stories from him. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't include all of them in the book because, you know, it was like, well, would this, does this help with the flow? I do have the original chapters though. Mm-hmm. Um, and he told me some really great things about like, When when he and Linda would go out and uh, go out investigating or go walking in the woods, um, you know, shaking trees like apes, and (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. I I heard all of these really wonderful stories. um, And yeah, it was I I that was when I realized I'm like, wow, she really did do something special here. And um, yeah, she 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 did some really special things, and uh, I was really thrilled when I was able to include her in the book and and also just kind of get a seal of approval from someone really close to her
0: yeah we had jay on the show when when linda passed away and and a couple other of her contemporaries and and she was she was quite the investigator so yeah it was it was a a pleasant surprise to hear from and and jay is is in awe of of linda she was quite the mentor to him so yeah Mm -hmm. she was she was quite an investigator yeah um, any last thoughts here, Alex, as we start to wrap up uh, as far as as what your expectations are for this book? What, what do you feel people should glean from this book as they sit down and read it?
1: I think people should take away from this book that women have always been there. As time is progressing, women are becoming the forefront, and I think this should serve as inspiration of let's not let history repeat itself with these legacies being buried Mm -hmm. um that was actually a previous title i was thinking of the book was buried legacies um, because the legacies of these women um besides our more contemporary ones but their legacies really were buried um and this was me excavating them and i think Let's not let history repeat itself. Let's elevate women today and promote them and give them a seat at the table, give them that give them that microphone to speak at conventions. Um, let them have their time today, so that uh, so that I don't have to work so hard and in finding information <laughs> about them for right. the future, for, you know volume ten. Right, you know?
0: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> How do you feel though that that with the invention of social media and the internet and bringing the world smaller and getting it smaller so that we're all in contact and with video and, and, and uh, streaming and, and, and the fact that we're, we're so in front of our screens now and, and information so easy to come by that it's easier to create a legacy now. And it's easier to learn about people now. And that the people who are creating legacies right now in the, in the paranormal are never going to be forgotten.
1: That's a good question. Um, I've, I've contemplated this. Um, The one thing with social media though, is yes, it's there. It's there on the internet forever, but it doesn't necessarily, well, forever, as long as the internet is around, True. but it's also temporary. You know, you know, there was talks of TikTok being, you know, taken down from the United States. Um, If that were to happen, all my content would be gone. Um, Same thing with Facebook, Twitter. Like if those social media sites were to ever deprecate, that's it. Like, you know, you lose all of those connections. Um, So I think um, we have an extraordinary opportunity with social media, but I also think we shouldn't take it for granted um, because at the time, you know, that their, you know, the time of like S- SPR early days, you know, 1882, I would say to even 1940, their world was very small, too. Mm-hmm. They had a very small world. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, you know, I'm sitting here scrounging the Internet for writings from Radcliffe Hall and Una Trowbridge and trying to find, you know, their investigations of Gladys Leonard and um, Gladys Osborne Leonard. And um, so I think our world is small right now, but I don't know if it's going to stay that small 20, 30, 40 years from now. So I think, um, and I, and I think that's another thing for people to take away from is, you know, then the women who may be reading this or listening to this episode right now, it's like, what can you do to create a more solid foundation for your research, your writings and your output, your legacy to have more of a permanent, um, permanent place um, in the world, whether that's like writing a book or is it a website or is it, a statue of Bigfoot, you know, on Roosevelt Island in DC. Like, I I don't know, but, um, yeah, I, I just think we should probably shouldn't take it for granted and keep, keep moving forward. And yeah.
0: And then I guess, finally, do you, do you see a day where we're not talking about any group being marginalized in the paranormal? Do you see a day where everything's even Steven?
1: Oh man, that's the dream. Um, it's things are slowly getting better um maybe in 15 16 years from now i i don't know um and like i said i look at the mainstream entertainment industry and i do some comparisons to the paranormal community um mainstream hollywood is pretty inclusive now um now now the issues within hollywood is like proper representation like should a white man voice a black man you know that 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 sort of thing it's like well you have the representation there but now are you doing it right mm-hmm. um or are you doing it respectfully um we haven't kind of, we gotten, we haven't gotten there yet so but i think we could i think we could but i think there will always be something to work on in terms of representation and inclusion um but i think as long as people keep open minds and open hearts like we should be able to Progress through. um, I I think we could probably get there one day. I don't like to be that person saying, "No, it's never going to happen." You never know. I think. I think it has the potential to happen. I Mm -hmm. I have faith in our community. Yeah,
0: good deal. Good deal. The book is out there now, and boy, is it climbing up the Amazon charts! First of all, I want to congratulate you for that. It's. uh, It's. uh, There's only one book that I saw this past week that that was on top of one particular chart. And uh, it was offensive to my eyes, Alex. <laughs> you know the one I'm talking about?
1: I think so. Yeah,
0: with the with the guy with his chest oh, stuck out. Yeah. Yeah. I won't I'm name it. I'm still
1: the... trying to figure that. I'm still trying to figure out how that
0: happened. Yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna name the book. It was the no. think it was some sort of romance or something like that. But Dragon romance. <laughs> Dragon romance. Um, but uh, but Otherwise, Alex is cleaning up on the Amazon charts, but we still need you to go out there and get this book, folks, because it is very important. Historically, we want you to learn about Women of the Paranormal, Volume 1, A Brief History. Alex Matsuo is our guest. We have a link to the book in the description of this program. want you to go out and learn about these important women in the paranormal and educate yourself because, again, if you don't know where you've been, you don't know where you're going. That's for sure. Alex, thank you so much for being on the program today.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me, Tim. This was delightful.
0: Well, it was our pleasure. want to thank our guest, Alex Matsur for joining us today. Women of the Paranormal, Volume 1, A Brief History, is available right now. We have a link in the description of this program so you can pick up that book and read it over the weekend, if you would. want to also thank you all for tuning in this week for a great week of Darkness Radio. Next week, we got True Crime Tuesday, we've got Supernatural News, and... We'll have the folks from ACG. So we've got a big week next week. Got some big things in store for you in the next few weeks here on darkness radio. Really excited to bring you the program over the next few weeks. And again, I want to thank you guys for continuing to listen to us week after week here on darkness radio. I want to thank you guys for being there for us week after week. And again, if you're not subscribed to Darkness Radio, subscribe. If you love what you're hearing on the show, leave us a five-star review, uh, either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you hear us. Again, we love the reviews and whatnot. Uh, keep them coming. Keep the positivity coming towards us. Uh, we love you guys. We really do appreciate you listening to the show. If you want to contribute stories to us, or if you have a parish share story you want to contribute to the program, send it to Tim at darknessradio.com. We love the stories, and we love your Parashare stories, so keep them coming. If you have a Parashare story that you want to send in a voice note for, just go to darknessradio.com, click on that blue button on the right-hand side. You have two minutes to leave a voice note. Uh, Please do that, and we'd love to hear your lovely voice on our show. We'll play it back on Wednesday. Wednesday. That's right, Supernatural News Wednesday. I still remember when it is. I haven't gotten that old. Uh, And we will play it right here on the show, and we'll weigh in on your Parashare experience. And by the way, we're loving hearing your actual voice on the air. That's that's really, really cool. So leave your, uh, if you can leave your voice note on darknessradioshow.com and uh, let's play your lovely voice on the air. It sounds like a plan. Before we leave you today, we we wished our fathers a happy Father's Day yesterday, but I want to reiterate uh, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there, the godfathers, the uncles, the men in your life who have really portrayed the father role. You don't necessarily have to be a sperm donor to be a father out there. Uh, I know in my life, I have my godfather. I have, I have uncles that have been there. I have my grandfathers, both my grandfathers who were there for me. I have my stepdad, Leroy, who was there for me. I have my own father who's been there for me. And I have plenty of males out there who have surrounded me and surrounded me with love and caring And helped. It it truly does take a village sometimes to help raise a a young man or a young woman. Um, You know what? That's what we we take and celebrate on Father's Day. And uh, again, guys out there, take the day and celebrate it the way Father's Day is meant to be celebrated. Uh, Surround yourself with the young ones and and show them exactly what kind of good father you are. And uh, spend a little time with the kids this weekend. So, there you go. And kids, uh, be good to your dads this weekend. don't uh, don't hide his stuff <laughs> or or do any damage. Major damage to Dad this weekend. Uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, take it easy on Dad. And uh, we'll see you next week for the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio.